Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. I'm humbled uh, to be a part of this body and um, just humbled to uh, have, a, have a place in what God's doing here and the, to see on a night like this <laughs> so many people that are hungry for the Lord. I, I got my, my fresh haircut before, but ha- oh, I just got a little Jedi right there. And uh, Kira, um, Kira was cutting next to me. I'm like, you're going to be there? She's like, absolutely. Like, wouldn't even, wouldn't even second, second guess it. So, um, man, it's really good to, uh, to be with you guys. As, uh, as Johnny was sharing just about uh, how impossible it is to really capture all that Jesus is, I was reminded of a quote. I, I, don't, I don't memorize it, but I'll, I'll paraphrase it. It'll still be powerful. There's a man by the name of Samuel Rutherford. I believe was, uh, in the 1600s he was a Scottish preacher. And he has this very well-known quote about what it's like when you try to share about the majesty and the person of Jesus and he said it's the same as if a little child would go to the ocean, cup his hand with how much water he can get and come back and sprinkle it on someone. <laughs> so I feel like tonight, like all I'm doing is I, I've cut my hand as a child. I've put it in the ocean of Christ, which is endless and boundless. And I'm just going to splash you with a little bit of how good Jesus is. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> um, I'm not going to change where I, re- where I felt like the Lord was taking us, which was a night of, of joy and celebration. I believe that was getting highlighted. Uh, we're actually going to make some room, so I'll make sure we have some time for this. We're going to make some room for some testimonies tonight, and I'll share how we're going to do that. And it's going to be awesome. We're going to just kind of close with just declaring what Jesus has done in our lives uh, with some worship. And um, yeah, it'll be really powerful. So um, why don't you really quick, I still want to read a, this one verse, and then we're going to land in Luke 2. Why don't you turn me to John, though, really quick, please. Gospel of John, chapter 1. (laughs) Gospel of John, chapter 1. I want to just share one verse here, kind of just set a foundation for what we're celebrating tonight and this weekend. Um, And then we'll go into Luke 2, which we'll really lead us into some testimonies and, and close with celebration. I just want to say this. I, I, have, um, I just have great expectation for tonight. I really do <laughs> with the group that's here. I just think really good things happen on nights like this uh, where we make a, a, a sacrifice. And um, I just trust the Lord is going to encounter hearts. I believe there's going to be fresh encounters. It doesn't matter if you've been with the Lord for 50 years or you don't know Jesus. I believe there's fresh encounters for you tonight. And one of the things that really stirs me about the Advent season, the, this celebration, is that Advent is, hinges on the understanding that we serve a God who actually came. He, he, he showed up. He arrived. That's the whole essence of the Advent season. And I feel such a stirring in my heart because that should place an expectation in, in our lives, not just for He came once, not just that He's coming once and for all again, but that we serve a God who shows up consistently. Like there's expectation that the first advent of Christ opens the door to this beautiful reality that God wants to come again. Like tonight, I believe that the same one that came as a baby wants to come into hearts tonight and touch hearts and come into situations and come into lives. He, if there's anything Christmas shows us, it's that God is not content to be at a distance. Um, he's done everything to remove every veil, every barrier. He wants to be known. He wants to be seen. He wants to be heard. He wants to be encountered. And I feel um, sometimes what can happen, not from a place of intentionality, it just takes place 
over the years, we can kind of grow kind of stale and dry to that reality. We get caught in just the mechanical things of Christianity. But I'm just praying that tonight would be fresh encounters with Jesus. I believe as testimonies go forth, I just know it. I know there's going to be so much that's going to happen in our hearts. Amen. Amen. So I know some of what uh, we'll touch on tonight. If you've been in the Lord for any amount of time, these, these stories, these concepts can be somewhat familiar, but we're asking Holy Spirit to breathe on it, to, to make us like children again, to come before this story, the wonder. Yeah, so let's read John 1.14. Scripture says this, just so you know, a name of Jesus or title is the Word. Before he actually even had Jesus, that came after he came in the flesh. The Word is an eternal title for him. And so here's what it says, verse 14. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I love this. The Word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's one of the most amazing scriptures. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. I don't know about you, I have many good things set up over this weekend that I'm excited about, that you should be as well. But in the midst of all these good things, we, we cannot forget that Christmas is a story of glory. Glory has come in the man, Jesus. And I just want to put this before you, that one of the things I love about this text right here is that it's a description. I believe one of the messages of, Chris, of the Christmas story is that it's a story of God moving towards mankind. Like this whole movement of, of uh, John 1.14 is that God came towards us. He became flesh, dwelt among us, so that we can see his glory. And I just want to, I just, I pray that that wonder would hit your heart. Because if God did not come to us, we could never come to him. Like this is what we're celebrating, that God came. He came to a people that the scriptures say were dead in their trespasses, bound in darkness. John 3.36 says that we were abiding under the righteous judgment of God. But God showed up. God came. When we could not come out, his light came into our darkness and made a way for us to come out. <laughs> and we must never misunderstand that. that the greatest I believe the greatest move of God that ever happened is actually Christmas. Now, let me be clear on that. I do not mean that our best days are behind us. Actually, we're moving from glory to glory. The kingdom is ever advancing. What I mean, though, is that when the Father sent the Son, there is not a greater move or a greater gift he could have sent. For everything that we need is in Jesus. <laughs> Jesus doesn't just slightly meet the needs of humanity, but there is a copious overflow for what we need. He's not just life, he's life abundantly. <laughs> he's not just a well for your thirsty soul, he's a well that never runs dry. That's really good news. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I want to, I wanna... let's see, yeah, give me one more second on this text before we move forward. I, I want to... I want us to capture this, that God really stepped in and he rescued us and he saved us. Uh, and there's one word, I just, I want to highlight this. There's a word that's been sticking out to me for the last two weeks. It says, and the word became flesh. And I think this is interesting because it doesn't say that the word became a man or it became human or he took on a body. Now, let me be very clear. He did all of those things, okay? He became a man, he took on a body. But if you actually look at how the New Testament writers often describe Jesus coming or entering into, into humanity, it often describes it as he took on flesh. 1 John 4.2 says that Jesus was coming in the flesh. Romans 8.3, he, 
He was sent in the flesh. 1 Timothy 3.16, God manifested in the flesh. 1 Peter 4.1, he suffered in the flesh. 1 Peter 3.18, he died in the flesh. Ephesians 2.15, he made peace with Jew and Gentile by abolishing the hostility that stood between us in his flesh. Colossians 1.21-22, he made reconciliation between us and a holy God in the body of his flesh. Why do I say that? Because I think there's a real significance that the gospel writers could say he took on a body because he did, he, he became fully man, but it says flesh. And I believe that be, because when I look at the rest of the New Testament scriptures, particularly Paul, when Paul tries to summarize the plight of humanity, like what is most wrong with humanity, what is most gnawing at, at man from living in all that God has, Paul would say it this way, it's that we do not walk in the spirit, but we walk in the flesh. <laughs> And one of the great things is that Jesus came to deal with that, which is like at the heart of why we're cut off from God, the heart of why our lives feel the brokenness that it feels. Like he came to take on the flesh, never gave into sin, live perfectly by the power of the Holy Spirit, live the life that we cannot live, dies the death that we deserve, then pours out that same spirit so that we can live in victory. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> the Christmas message. <laughs> Yeah, so 1 Timothy 3.16 says, um, uh, great indeed is the, is the mystery of godliness that God was manifested in the flesh. Let, let me share this last piece and we'll move to Luke 2. This is uh, actually, it's a merging of two poems. The mystery of the incarnation. When we think about Jesus being fully God, fully man, I don't know about you, but it's very easy for me to hold to the deity where I, where I really stumble is when I think about the humanity of the incarnation. But he really became a man. Yes. He really became a baby. <laughs> Just let your mind think about what it, that entails of God being a baby and what the stages he'd have to go through. The more you study it, the more you learn, yet the more mysterious it becomes. <laughs> and, uh, and I don't want to keep his humanity. I, I don't want to cut off his humanity or deny it because the more you do that, you actually distance yourself from a God that came to be one with us, came to dwell with us. Like it says, John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's profound. That tells us this, this Word that became flesh, He's eternal, He's from the beginning, He's uncreated. He's, he was with God, which means perfect fellowship, but He's distinct from God, yet He still is God. So this perfect, divine, eternal being came and wrapped himself in flesh. And rather than being with the Father in heaven, he dwelt among us. So just listen to these words and let the mystery, and I feel like there's just a joy that comes forth from it. It says, the word became flesh. God became human. The invisible became visible. The untouchable became touchable. Eternal life experienced temporal death. The transcendent one descended and drew near. The unlimited became limited. Some good wind. The infinite became finite. The immutable became fragile. The omnipotent one became breakable and pierceable. Spirit became matter. Eternity entered time. The independent became dependent. The loved became the hated. The exalted was humbled. Glory was subjected to shame. Fame turned to obscurity. Oh, I love this. He who breathed the life, he who breathed the breath of life into the first man is now himself a man breathing his first breath. The king of kings sleeping in a cow pen. The creator of the oceans and the seas and rivers afloat in the womb of his mother. The omnipresent spirit whose being fills the galaxies now confined to the womb of a peasant girl. 
The alpha and omega, learning is multiplication tables. Think about this. <laughs> he who spoke the universe into existence now coos and cries. Omniscient deity counting his toes. Infinite power learning to crawl. Mary playing patty cake with the Lord of Lords. <laughs> the wonder of the word becoming flesh and rescuing us. All right, let's go to Luke 2. Much more to share in that, but we'll leave it for another day. You guys doing all right? Yeah. All right. <laughs> What's that? Some are, some are a little frozen. They couldn't answer, but I trust you're okay. No, we're going we're gonna to get up in a moment, and we're going to uh, get the blood moving again. All right. Luke chapter 2, I'm going to pick it up in verse 8. So for those of you who don't know this, this is the count that begins with Caesar Augustus issuing a decree that every male had to return back to his hometown. So Joseph has to go back to Bethlehem. That's why Jesus was born there. Uh, why did Joseph take Mary? Probably on a natural level. Mary was far, far along in her uh, pregnancy and he didn't want her to have a baby by herself. So she comes with him. The amazing thing, though, is that even though Caesar issues this decree, it really comes under a decree that's from eternity past. <laughs> Prophecy is just being fulfilled as this thing is unfolding. And what we're going to read is, I believe, a, just joy, <laughs> just good news <laughs> of, of, uh, of what it means that Jesus is born. And what we're going to see is this is the, I want you to get this, angels are dispatched to the fields where the shepherds are. And what we're going to read is heaven's perspective on the birth of Jesus. And this is so important, guys, because we're living in a culture right now that wants to redefine Christianity, but especially holidays like Christmas. And it wants to sanitize it and make it a secular holiday, whether it's government, commercialization, Hollywood. But I want you to know that Christ is at the center of what we're celebrating this weekend. We are celebrating that God became flesh and came and set us free when we could not set ourselves free. A Savior was born. So we're not going to water this thing down. <laughs> we're going to teach it for what it says. So let's just take this line by line. Verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Okay, real quick. I just, you just got to picture this for a moment. How many of you have ever heard the, the song Silent Night? Holy Night? <laughs> well, this is, this is set from this scene. These, these shepherds are literally, as the scripture says, are taking watch by night. So probably a few stay up while the rest of them are sleeping. They're literally watching over the flock, guarding them from animals, robbers, whatever it may be. But I want you just to imagine the scene that this is a silent night outside of an occasional bleeding of sheep or the crackling of fire, which sounds really nice, <laughs> to give some warmth or, or uh, give some... Uh, some light. Picture this. There's no artificial lighting. They're in an open field where it's nighttime. It is pitch black. Now that's important because glory is about to shine. <laughs> so it's pitch black. It's silent. And it's, uh, uh, no one comes to warn them. There's no announcement. There, there's no messenger. There's no, there's no warning. There's no human messenger that shakes them and says, hey, in a few minutes, something glorious is about to happen. But in the midst of this silent night, this holy night, as the shepherds are watching the flock, an angel is going to appear. And let's read that in verse 9. 
It says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Man, God, open our eyes to the wonder of the story. It is a quiet night, and it's pitch black, and it says, An angel appears to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around him. Now, what's happening here is very much in line with Old Testament, uh, what they're called theophanies. That's where you have a visible manifestation of the invisible God. And the common pattern through every theophany of the Old Testament is that the Shekinah glory would be there. This is no different. There is an angel that shows up. I can't imagine, first, the one that saw it, the ones that were sleeping that probably had to be nudged. (laughs) There's an angel that comes bathed in the Shekinah glory of God. The heavens burst ablaze with the refulgent, blinding glory of God himself. (laughs) This is how Jesus was born. An angel comes and it's, glory is just shining from this angel. And here's what he says, verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, understandably so, when the glory of God came, these shepherds were filled with great fear. Actually, the the Greek wording says they feared a great fear. (laughs) Sometimes I don't really understand what I'm asking for when I ask for the glory of God. (laughs) Because when the glory of God comes, you are filled with a great fear. Because this, these storms, God breathes and these things happen. When the glory shows up, it's incredible. But the angel comes and says, wait, 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 I've not come to instill fear. But I've come to impart and release a message of great joy to your hearts. Today is your Savior's birthday. (laughs) Today, your Messiah is born. Today, hope has come to you. Read it again with me. Verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. That just makes me happy saying that. (laughs) I bring you good news of great joy for all people. You and I need to awaken to this because you and I are in this declaration. Because you and I are all people. And I believe that what the angels declared to the shepherds of of antiquity 2,000 years ago, they would declare this morning or tonight. That I bring you good news of great joy for all people. This message that we're celebrating this weekend, this story, it has not lost its power. It has not dwindled over time. It has not grown irrelevant. In fact, it's quite the opposite. More than ever, this rings true, that this time of the year, we remind ourselves that Jesus has come, and with that, there is good news of great joy for all people. Regardless of what is going in your life, we're coming out on the back end of, to be honest, several years of a lot of bad news. A lot of good things have happened, but we're not going to deny the reality that there were also bad bad things happen. But that reality comes under this truth. There is a transcendent truth that in the midst of all these things that have seemed to shake in our lives, that we remind ourselves that heaven's perspective right now would say, oh, you're reminding yourselves of Jesus? Let me remind you of the message from heaven, that it is good news of great joy for all people. Regardless of what is going on in life situations, there is a reason to celebrate. God has come (laughs) and he saved us. (laughs) And I believe we need to let this message take a, get seated in our heart and, and unseat a lot of things that have wrong, wrongfully taken their place in our heart over the last few years. 
That regardless, again, of, of maybe things that have crept in, the Lord wants to impart joy to your heart tonight of good news, of great joy. What's the foundation? What's the basis of this joy? Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What is the foundation for this explosive eruption of joy that is your inheritance as a believer? It's yours. It's a foundation of the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of peace, joy, and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. As God's people, we are to be a people of joy. That no matter what circumstances go on, this, what, what's being declared cannot be touched by circumstances. What is the basis of this joy? This time of the year, all times, but especially this time of the year, people are searching for joy. Only to find themselves disappointed that it was, they were let down at this season or they had it for a moment and then it left after this, this season left. But this joy is not found in materialistic gifts. It's not found in the cessation of external conflicts, as nice as that may be. This joy comes from knowing you have a Savior. A Savior that has come to save you, rescue you. He's taken you out of darkness, placed you in light. He's called you a son or a daughter. He's given you an incredible inheritance. You've been justified. You're being sanctified. One day you'll be glorified. You'll be with him forever. Just sit on all that this means and joy will touch your heart. <laughs> joy that cannot be shaken. Oh, uh, Sam Storms, I heard him say his definition of joy is deep, durable delight. <laughs> In the all-sufficiency of Christ, the joy that's offered to every one of us here tonight is deep, durable delight. It's not shallow. It's not superficial. It's not fickle. It's durable it can go through trials, tragedies, triumphs. First Peter 1 says it's joy inexpressible. Our best attempts to articulate this joy and will come up empty. No, no thesaurus or dictionary could, could adequately describe or give language to the joy that is brought to one who knew that they were cut off from the living God but now has a relationship with Abba, Father. For all of us here tonight. Notice it says in the back part of verse 11, that this joy is that you have a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Part of the amazing news is not, that that, not just that Jesus is Savior, but that He's Lord. Yes. Why is this such good news? Because if He came to save, but He's not Lord of all, there may be some things that He's, not unable, that he's unable to actually rescue you from. But the one who is Savior is Lord of all. Yes. He is not slightly higher. He is infinitely higher than everything. <laughs> The good news is that whatever you have in your life, he's greater. <laughs> Therefore, he's such a good savior because the one who saves you is Lord of all. All things are under his feet. Not a single thing that he is not able to rescue from. Verse 12. Oh, I love this verse. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. You guys tracking with me? All right, after this verse, we'll, we'll, we'll read through the other ones fairly quick. I want you to hear this. This is fascinating, though. I think this is so, so cool. There is a rabbi by the name of Rabbi Jason Sobel. Has anyone ever heard of him? Yeah. Okay. So he does a lot of work with Chosen. Anyone ever seen the show Chosen? He's, he's amazing. Uh, I first was introduced. He was speaking at a, a ministry in Dallas, Texas called Upper Room, and then just got, got into his own personal ministry, which is called Fusion. I highly encourage it. You to, to, to look at it. If you want to see the, 
the fluidity of Judaism and Christianity and the festivals and all those things, it is so enriching. But he was speaking, I was listening to a message, just get ready, he's going to dis disrupt our Christmas story a little bit. He was speaking on common fallacies regarding the Christmas story, myths that we often present. And some of these things don't touch a lot, but some do. And I want to share two of them because they tie directly into the story, especially the second one. The first is this. This story, I didn't pick it up, but in verse 7 it says, uh, right before the shepherds in the field, it says that when Mary and Joseph came to Bethlehem, there was no room in the inn, right? So I don't know about you, but my picture is they go into the backyard of that inn, whatever's out back, there's a barn there, there's some hay, there's some animals, and, uh, and that's where Jesus is born, in this wooden barn, yes? All of our nativity sets sh show this. Well, what's fascinating is that I didn't understand that many Jewish theologians would say that's really not how he was probably born or the place he was born. Why? Because wood was extremely rare in Israel. For if you remember, when they built the temple, it says they had to go to Lebanon to import the cedars from Lebanon. He said you would have rarely ever found a structure built out of wood. Every structure was stone. Where Jesus, they say, probably was born was along where the fields were, where the shepherds were. The shepherds would actually cut out in the rocks stone caves of where Jesus was probably born in a stone cave. Why is that significant? I'm going to come back to it in a moment. The shepherds would put very specific sheep in these stone caves. <laughs> so hang on with me for a moment. Here's the second thing, though, that's so fascinating. And you're going to see it right in this verse. Is this, the shepherds I, that I understand, I always thought, oh, they're just the lowly shepherds. Um, that's probably, again, not the type of shepherds that these were. You look for it for yourself. But again, the wide consensus among Jewish theologians, which I'm just going to lean towards, they know what they're talking about, is that these were not ordinary shepherds. These are called Levitical shepherds. What do Levitical shepherds do? Levitical shepherds are known as, or let me say this, Levites. Levites is one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And the Levites were the ones who were given sole um, responsibility for tending to the temple. They were full-time in, it's kind of like vocational, like I would be almost, full-time in, in, in the church gathering, right? So that's how they were supported. They gave all of their time to tending to the temple, especially sacrifices, the sacrificial system. So what's interesting is that one of the roles within Levites is they'd have specifically, they'd have Levitical shepherds. These shepherds' jobs, these Levites, is they would actually be on certain fields. Their sole purpose was to raise up sheep and then look for a specific sheep who would be qualified to become uh, uh, the, the right sacrifices for the people of God. So these shepherds tend the flock, but with a spiritual purpose in mind. You ready for this, though? This is so cool. When they selected a sheep to be uh, given over for sacrifice, when, this, when the sheep was born, one of the first things they would do is grab the sheep, wrap it up and swaddle it in clothes because if it fell, it would be bruised, it would be cut and it would be defected, which by law, you cannot offer that sheep anymore. So what they would do is they would grab these sheep, wrap them up, swaddle them in clothes, bring them into that cave that I said, and many times it was the Passover lambs that they would put in those caves. Check this out. So verse 12, read it again. The angel now, this makes sense. The angel says to, uh, to the shepherd, it says, and this will be a sign for you. That is a supernatural sign. I always read through this and said, why? I don't understand. Why is that a sign? Because these guys would have known. Let's read the sign. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. <laughs> 
This angel knew, he says, listen, when you see this baby in this cave that is often used for Passover lambs, you will find one wrapped, swaddled, and you will know this is the one. Behold the lamb who has come to take away the sins of God's people. Is that not amazing? <laughs> so news like this, one angel can't bring this. <laughs> now look what happens. Verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So now picture this scene. One angel's here. Now in a moment, the heavens, I just feel like they just are rent open. And it says there is a host of angels. We actually don't know how many, but again, many would go out to say that oftentimes when you describe heavenly hosts, you're talking about myriads and myriads, thousands upon thousands. This scene is breathtaking. In the middle of the scene, after they declare this, the heavens burst open and thousands of angels are singing a song dancing, rejoicing over the coming of Jesus. We have much to celebrate tonight. <laughs> Actually, what I find interesting is that there are many songs surrounding the birth of Jesus. Mary goes into song. Zechariah, the, the father of John the Baptist, he prophesies, but they actually use it. It's called the Benedictus, I think. It's a song. Simeon, one of the two prophets in the temple when Jesus is baptized, he releases a song. And right here, this song, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Have you ever heard of the song, Angels We Have Heard on High? This is the famous chorus of, I'm not going to sing it for you, but Gloria in Excelsis Deo. That's glory to God in the highest. There are heavens erupting with a song here. Now let's just finish out 15 to 20. I'm going to read it together. This is going to give us context for what we're about to do. I need some participation though, all right? <laughs> It's going to be good. I want you to see the response of the shepherds because I feel that we're going to do something tonight that's going to pattern right after this. I was really inspired by a church um, that, that used this passage to do something. So verse 15 says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they heard a report, but now they're going to go see for their own eyes. And there are many people in this room who have heard the gospel and then you responded. The eyes of your heart were opened to see the very one that you heard about. Then verse 16 says, and they went with haste. They didn't wait. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered what the shepherds told them. Stop right there. The language actually says, not just known, in other translations it says they made widely known. And if you notice it says, in all who heard it, which means the shepherds did not just tell Mary and Joseph, they were telling everyone that they heard along this journey about what they had heard and now seen with their own eyes. They testified to the one that they heard and now seen. Amen? <laughs> and then verse 19 says, But Mary treasured up all these things and pondering them in her heart, and then verse 20 says, The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. There it is again, all they had heard and seen as it had been told of them. So the moment these shepherds hear, then see, they start telling everyone. They did not just go on living a good life, waiting for someone to come up to them and say, Hey, why has your life changed so much? That's great. That will happen. 
But the moment, from what they heard and saw, they started declaring and witnessing to every single one testifying, this is the one that has come. This is what was said. This is what I have seen. And I feel the Lord is calling us to do this tonight. <laughs> we have heard. We have seen. And I want to testify to what Jesus has done in our lives. Amen? Amen. And I believe that by testifying here, it's going to be... I believe it's going to be a catalyst for our own hearts, but for friends, family here, those listening online. Listen, you, you don't necessarily have to share this, but I encourage you to jump into what we're going to do because there's something really significant at, 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 in recalling what the Lord has brought you out of. So here's where I was inspired. I want you to look at verse 14. Worship team can come on up. Are you guys tracking with me? If I could have, could you pass that out? Yeah. So we're going to have the usher pass something around. He's going to pass out a sheet of paper. It's very small. We are not just going to testify in any way. We're actually going to use verse 14 of Luke chapter 2 to testify here. All right? So I want to just read it, and then he's going to pass it out, and, and I'll tell you what we're going to do here. Verse 14 again says, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased Dina I may have you dance as well if that's alright just a few more minutes we're going to get the blood flowing though and it's going to be glorious so here's what you're going to do you're going to get a sheet that I've taken that verse and, we're, and we've just personalized it so it's glory to God in the highest and peace to your name. And then you're going to say to whom God was pleased to. And you're going to write a few word testimony of what God has done in your life. You can write something in terms of big picture. Maybe it's this past year. But I, but I want to just invite you that if you're going to come forward and share to write something down. And you're going to read it right off of this. And we're going to mix this with some worship, some dance. And we're going to close out with some joy and celebration. For we have good news of great joy for all people. In Jesus' name.